Fantasy Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are finally talking about uh, both Fourth Wing and Iron Flame, both books by Rebecca Yaros. Yeah. Uh, late to the party, just in terms of <laughs> discussing it here, but rest mm-hmm. assured, dear listeners, that uh, we were all over at least the Iron Flame release uh, when that happened. And I think Tej actually went to a midnight release party. I did. Yeah. The Barnes and Nobles ones. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and we both did read Fourth Wing pretty close to when it came out. So mm-hmm. we've been sitting, stewing, obsessing like many of you have and decided let's uh, let's hop on the old podcast feed <laughs> here. For our, our YA slash romanticy slash yeah. whatever we're feeling like it uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. Let's if someone can think of a way to like make Actia age also like tie into romanticy, that would be great. <laughs> like uh we would welcome suggestions on that front. I'm not gonna like change the name of the podcast, but like maybe like a subheading for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> Actia age. Colon. <laughs> also maybe romanticy <laughs> vibes really just vibes yeah it's, it's just vibes this episode is going to be vibes because we were just talking before we started recording um we haven't reread iron flame i did read fourth wing twice um once like right in anticipation of iron flame but like i haven't really fully digested iron flame to, to you know to the point where i'm yeah totally willing to like theorize yet like I just need some like time to rest and absorb um in a good way and just like sit with the book before I put my tinfoil hat on frankly my tinfoil hat is just like really pointed in the direction of Crescent City 3 coming out next month finally um so my brain is like back in that realm already but so tonight's just gonna be vibes on these books yeah it's been a crazy couple months of like content so I feel mm-hmm. like I'm just, my brain is jumping from one thing to the next thing that I really don't have that much time to like really stew in it like I normally yeah. would. Yeah. Um, but I think this conversation will help to kind of like yeah. unlock yeah, some stuff in our brains yeah. as we talk it out. Yeah, totally. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about these books. But before we do, let's talk about things that we are obsessing over these days. You know, since this is like a quarterly podcast at this point <laughs> what what things just think of into. us as like your your um your apathetic house cat of a yeah. podcast yeah like we're around when we feel like it exactly. and uh we expect you to be here to love us when we okay. are we're hopefully i know this is going to be vibes but hopefully this is a quantity or no a quality over quantity <laughs> situation <laughs> Uh, for I, you I think so. Yes. I think so too. I like to yeah. do it. Um, but really, I think we both have been reading some things and watching some things and let's talk about them. Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Go for it. You filled out the document right. first, so you get first dibs on everything. I did my homework first, <laughs> yeah. so A plus for me, please. Yeah, gold star for Tasia. <laughs> Uh, so like, again, many other people, I am absolutely here for like the, the Hunger Games renaissance. Mm. Uh, I was a big Hunger Games girly back in 2012. I don't know about you, but I was Mm -hmm. very, very deep in the trenches. Um, and so I've been having a lot of fun kind of jumping back into that, which has been another thing that's been like very prevalent in my brain right now is just, uh, I watched, um, 
the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, mm-hmm. and it just kind of instantly made me go back and rewatch all the movies. So that's what I've done recently. Um, and yeah, I uh, am happy to be back in this uh, horrible dystopia. I... Not dissimilar from our own horrible dystopia. Yeah, uh, lots of um, similarities there for sure. Yeah, I have still never read the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, despite being a hunger games girly yeah you know a decade ago as well you know the premise of it didn't really speak to me when it came out mm-hmm. and so I wasn't which I feel like that was kind of a popular consensus and yeah um but I feel like even more so and I don't want to put words in your mouth about your feelings but I feel like people read the first time and were like it's fine and then like revisiting it ahead of the movie people seem to be into it more and then even more so into it after the movie so i'm definitely mm-hmm. intrigued i have the audiobook downloaded the reality of my life these days is it's hard for me to get to the movie theater so i uh have some time before it comes to streaming to to read it yeah and i really i'm i want to and i'm excited to um, yeah, because hopefully... I trust you and some of our other friends who are really into it implicitly in this this regard. So, yeah, that was the, I mean, I, I totally get your like hesitation to read it because I felt the same when it came out. I was like, we don't need this. We don't mm-hmm. need some humanizing of this monster mm-hmm. um, and and the like yassification of Coriolanus Snow. Um, and so I, I felt really similarly, but I read it and I mean, like, you know, in, in Suzanne Collins, we trust really because she knows what she's doing. She's yeah. not, you know, he, he is humanized, but he's not, you don't empathize with him. You don't sympathize yeah. with him. He is like a human. He's a real person, but he is a piece of shit. And yeah. the book acknowledges it, even though this book is from his POV, like you kind of see, I don't know. I feel like it's just a really good, like. The downfall of this guy and how he became yeah. who he is without like you know putting rose-colored glasses on and expecting yeah. us to like you know i mean and then it's very different when the movie comes out and the actor portraying him is very attractive and charming mm-hmm. and everything so like obviously you know a lot of us are leaving the movie theater uh really mad that we're being forced to sim for <laughs> but like you know at the end yeah. you're still very much against him and i don't think that i don't think they're trying to convince you of anything else they're not trying yeah. to be like oh well he's he's just a poor damaged boy it's like nice yeah. he's trash yeah yeah maybe this will be the impetus for something that we've been talking about doing ever since we started this podcast which is covering all the hunger games <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, yeah, this I'm I'm super hyped for this Hunger Games Renaissance. Yeah. So it feels like a good time to kind of wade back into these waters. And I'm interested to revisit the books. I haven't revisited any of them, including yeah. the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So yeah, me, I haven't reread any of them in a long time either. So yeah, cool. Stay tuned, maybe. <laughs> so this next one I think you've been doing too. We talked about it a little mm-hmm. bit. Is the mm-hmm. Emily Henry reread? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going through all of them on audiobook and mm-hmm. so far my rankings are staying about the same but yeah. um i mean she's she's a wizard she is a wizard and the audiobooks are all read by julia wayne julia whalen who's also a wizard mm-hmm. um yeah. how Ju- i i don't think you've gotten to book lovers yet in your reread but i listened I to book lovers um a couple months ago and how julia whalen somehow managed to make charlie lestra hotter like i she did and it was like amazing to me um so it's a very fun experience to reread them via audio i'm glad you're 
I yeah, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't jumped into book lovers yet. And it's kind of, it's one of those things where I'm like almost afraid to, yeah. because I know how intensely I feel about this book mm-hmm. and how intensely this book makes me feel. And um, like Charlie Lastra in particular, um, he's just an all-timer. So yeah, I'm scared for myself and that emotional journey that is going to be rereading that book. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I mean, I think I was in a little bit of a weird place when book lovers came out and I like liked it and rated it five stars, but I was like, people who met on vacation is my favorite. And I think it's, I said that at the time because I had so much fun reading that book for the mm-hmm. first time on reread. It was still fun, but it's, it doesn't have the staying power. I don't think that um some of the other ones do. Yeah. I, I haven't got like touched happy place yet just because it's like, that's still relatively yeah. fresh in my mind, but I'm excited to probably in 2024 get to it nice yeah uh so the last thing that i wanted to talk about is um charming young man by elliot schrafer um elliot wrote uh the darkness outside us which i don't know um if any of you have read but it's um it's Mm -mm. like like a literary science fiction like Hmm. queer in space situation it's one of the most beautiful and just kind of emotionally devastating books I've ever read Um, I love it and so I had a lot of high expectations coming into Charming Young Man and Mm -hmm. they were all completely met Um, this one's very different it's more of a YA historical I like those uh, words mm -hmm, YA queer historical and it's really interesting because it's based off of real people Uh, so um, this very briefly famous um, kind of piano prodigy um, in France. And so I, I read like a little bit of background on it where Elliot Schiffer was talking about how he was walking through a museum or something and saw a portrait um, painted by John Singer Sargent, who um, if you <laughs> have Amazing. listened to any of our flagship, flagship um, uh, TRC uh, the Raven Cycle um, mm-hmm. coverage. We we mm-hmm. talk a lot about John Singer Sargent. He's a mm-hmm. kind of a looming figure there too in his art, at, at least. Um, and so, yeah, he's he has a cameo in this book. Um, so John Singer Sargent painted this portrait, and Elliot saw it and was like, "What is this guy's story?" Looked into it, and there's not much information about him after he had this kind of societal like the social downfall. He was like BFFs with Marcel Proust for a while, and like these other really big names from that era in France, and then um, got kind of socially blacklisted, mm. and then nobody really knows what happened, or you know, historically we don't really know what happened to him after that, but. Um, yeah, so it's kind of an exploration of what that social downfall might have been and my, what might have happened there. And again, mm-hmm. it was just kind of quietly devastating. Um, just I a love really to be devastated. Mm-hmm, a really beautiful, you know, coming of age, just this, he's like 16 or something. And he's this piano prodigy in Paris, essentially kind of by himself, um, trying to hop around these, you know, social structures, trying to make friends in high places so that he can be sponsored because he's from uh, like a poor village. And um, yeah, it's, it's really good. Highly, highly recommend it. Nice. I put a library hold on it after I saw you gushing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited for it because I haven't read anything that's like truly devastated me, quietly devastating. Those yeah. are Keytasia and current mm-hmm, words. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yep. So I look forward to being hurt by that. Uh, in the near future i look forward to being there for you when you thank are hurt you. by that thank you <laughs> thank you um creative sessions very exciting stuff 
why we're talking like this. I'm feeling very slappy tonight. Yeah. Slap happy. I'm feeling very mm-hmm. slappy tonight. So that's great. Perfect. Here we go. Um, speaking of slappy, my first obsession is the TV show The Buccaneers, which is on Apple. Do you know about the show? I do not. Okay, so I have to give credit actually to my husband, who I had not heard of this show. He's like, this looks like a current show. Are you going to watch it? I was like, I don't know what the show is. And he's right. It's very much a current show. It is based on an incomplete novel by Edith Wharton. I'm um, unfamiliar with with the source material. Um, it I think it's taking a lot of departures from it from what I've read online, but it's basically a period piece, maybe like 1870s-ish, post-Civil War era. Um, it's about a group of American like heiresses who essentially all go to England to find husbands. Um, so they all are kind of like new money in like mm-hmm. the Gilded Age, beginning of the Gilded Age era of New York um, coming over to to london i cannot tell you if this show is good or not i don't know but i (laughs) am having so much fun with it it is absolutely absurd some of the people have accents some of the american girls talk like they're tiktokers like i don't know what is happening i just know that i'm having a lot of fun with it there's kind of a love triangle between like the main girl her name is nan um she has two guys that are kind of vying for her um and then it's about her sister and then two of their other three of their other friends, excuse me. Um, and they all have their own little storylines and plot lines going on. And it's I'm just like having a ton of fun with it. It's like super soapy and dramatic. And every episode like ends on a little cliff. So you're kind of like, oh, I got to hit play for the next yeah. one. Um, I think the last episode, I think it's. It's not a limited series, so I think there is going to be more to it. Um, hopefully, if Apple renews it, um, but I think the next last episode of this batch of eight airs like mid December. So, and is it one season right now, or are you in your second one, season? Okay, one, yeah. So it's like currently airing week to week. Apple. Uh, so it is. It's been just very fun. It's been a while since I've watched a show that just like makes me like stay up past my bedtime and shirk all mm-hmm. of my responsibilities. So um, again, I can't tell you if it's good or not, um, but I'm having fun. I had a re- like revelation last night as I was watching it. It was like a New Year's Eve episode. This one girl was wearing this like beautiful costume. I'm looking at her. I'm like, this is giving Kate Winslet in Titanic vibes. Like just the, the co- she was wearing like a beautiful dark green. I'm like, this is like a total Kate Winslet. Like, you know, Rose Dewitt Picator color, like mm-hmm. the soft curls, the jewel the tones face. and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Come to Google afterwards. It's her daughter. What? Yeah. And they like don't look alike, but like she, if you just like look at them side by side, you're not like, oh, it's a copy paste situation. But her daughter just like has the vibes of her. And I read an interview with the costumer who's basically like, say, like, you know, who's dressed Kate Winslet in, in movies before is just kind of like, I think intentionally dressing the daughter in in costume that kind of like evokes Caitlin's up. But yeah, it's so that was really funny. Um, but I was like well, literally thinking like, wow, this is giving um, Titanic vibes to me. And it's her daughter. <laughs> and she's awesome. good. She's good. She's a good Nepo baby. Um, such as she is. So. <laughs> Unlike a few we could name. Well, yeah. I mean, in comparison to another television show that uh, 
heavily featuring the Gilded Age, maybe called the Gilded <laughs> Age, that stars a very famous person's Nepo baby, and she's terrible in it. Um, this is much better, much better situation. Well, this is the first I'm hearing about this show. But I literally I... heard nothing about it. So, like, hat tip to my husband, who was yeah. like, you know, had his finger on the pulse of something for once, pop culture, <laughs> um, and like thought. And you know, really, Apple never misses. I feel like they have a lot of good shows, and mm-hmm. um, I've just been enjoying the ride with that one. So, yeah, that's the Buccaneers. The other two things I want to talk about are both two fantasy duologies that I've really loved that I've read over the last few months. One of which is the Shepherd King duology by Rachel Gillig. So that's One Dark Window and Two Twisted okay. Crowns. Um, I read uh, One Dark Window earlier this year at the behest of front of the podcast, Jesse in particular, who like read the first book and loved it. And I like read the first book and I loved it. I gave it five stars, but I like kind of moved on and like wasn't, you know, super thinking about it and was waiting for a long time for like my copy of Two Twisted Crowns to come in and like just, but wasn't like, oh God, this book's out. Why don't I have my copy yet? You know, I was just kind of yeah. like, I'll get to it when I get to it. But I've, after really not being in a huge fantasy mood for a long time, I was, I'm finally kind of in it again. So once I finally got my hands on a copy, I decided to read it. And book two like really blew me away. It added some POVs. I just loved getting those additional POVs. There is um, a POV of a very reluctant um, sad boy prince, which is another Tejan Kern keyword, like just <laughs> great stuff. Um, and I just, I really loved the, uh, the conclusion to that duology. So that was uh, super great and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, and then the other duology that I read and was really into is by, uh, Rebecca Ross, who uh, wrote Divine Rivals and the upcoming Ruthless Vows. Um, she has another fantasy duology. It's the Elements of Cadence duology, A River Enchanted and A Fire Endless are the two books. And I loved this. I mean, it just very much like gave me seawater vibes. Um yeah. Just in terms of like very atmospheric writing. Yeah. Like her her prose isn't necessarily like anywhere near (laughs) yeah but like just like in terms of evoking feeling in a quiet way just really excelled at that um it's kind of um and not even a vaguely scottish it's like a clear scott like scottish inspired fantasy um about two dueling clans who've like divided this like magical island um and you're really on the one side um in terms of all of your characters uh, are on one side of the clan line and then it kind of um, devolves from there. There's a lot of like spirits and, and fairies and just kind of very like, you know, whimsical kind of classical fantasy in that way. Yeah. And I just really, really loved it. Um, I was talking about it with one of my friends who we were like, you know, we obviously don't know how Ruthless Vows is going to come up. Um, and I love, I deeply love Divine Rivals, but this feels like a tighter, stronger like magic system and world building etc than divine rivals so if it it has two romances that i loved both of so if you are really into divine rivals like so many people are um check out this earlier set of books by rebecca ross um i really really liked him so glad i read it i'm gonna have to check those out yeah i think you would really like both of them because we like the same things yeah i I believe you i think both of these things are like 
Tasia vibes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So great. And then um, there was this book <laughs> or this set of books. Ooh, it's uh, like the world by storm. Really, really did, but like deservedly so. And I will just preface, I guess, this whole conversation by saying that I'm like really, I don't know if I'm just because I'm getting older or what, but I just like really don't have patience for like online, like love to hate the popular things discussions mm-hmm. that um happen a lot of times and particularly are happening around this book. Um, It's not dissimilar to how there's a lot of vitriol towards Sarah J. Mass, and I'm just kind of just over reading it or engaging with it, which means like I haven't really thought or done a lot of, you know, deep dives to this point about like theories or anything like that, because I'm just kind of like off put by a lot of that. And so I think too, like I've decided, like, I'm not going to talk about me liking any of these books anymore with any sort of qualifiers. Like it's great. It's not doing anything groundbreaking, but I loved it. And I was like, I just love this book. And like, yeah, it's it, it, it. I've had a lot of fun reading both these books and my favorite reading experiences of the year bar none was reading these books and talking about them with my friends and I don't care to um nitpick beyond that I mean I can nitpick nitpick storylines and things like that but I'm not gonna say you know you nitpick that's that fine it, yeah. literature like you know mm-hmm. what I mean like I just don't I don't care I'm having yeah. fun we reading. shouldn't have to put those disclaimers right. in front of everything we like anymore just to be taken seriously yeah no exactly so Anyway, I had a lot of fun reading these books. So I'm, that's my like disclaimer at the top of this episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> disclaimers, I, there is no disclaimer, right? Yeah. We like the fucking books. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like this had a lot of fucking fun reading these books. <laughs> I have such pleasant memories from reading most of the first book, like on my phone, because I think it was like really busy, but I like, couldn't put it down. And then also reading a good chunk of iron flame in public in the same way um including <laughs> some spicy scenes that we of can course. talk about a little bit but i just really um don't feel like any other book and like the characters in the world have gripped me in the same way other than sarah j mass books which is mm-hmm. um a really fun space to be in well and it's fun too because you always hear like oh this is the this is the new akatar this is the new akatar you hear that so often with like yeah. every single romanticy series that comes out yeah. this is the first one where i'm like no i get it like yeah. I, I like and it's they're very different stories like they're totally. not it, this is not you know this is an apples to oranges situation but in terms of like sweeping romanticy series mm-hmm. like this is the closest i have felt to like that kind of immersive like compulsively readable kind yep, of totally. experience 100 percent, and it's just been so fun and i don't even feel like it needs to be like a competition or a comparison it's just like i'm so happy to have another series that i can mm-hmm. get invested in um yeah. in the same way so that's just really super exciting and so i don't know i think most of this conversation will focus more on iron flame just because it's fresher and more top of mind but do we want to talk just briefly about like fourth wing our thoughts so what was your experience going through a fourth wing for the first time because i read it like it was such a clip i had a lot of other things going on and i just remember like pouring through it and being like really truly devastated at the end when liam died which is how Mm -hmm. i knew that this book fucking had me in its clutches Mm -hmm. like i just was despondent and 
so that was one of my big takeaways. I remember every time I would think about it for months after, I would be like very sad about it. Um, and I also just really remember loving um, the dragon so much like that was so special and fun. And like, it's not that they're, it's not even that they're dragons. It's that they're like this one snarky dragon and then this other like really cute little baby. gold one <laughs> baby like she literally is baby in in fourth wing so um that was like my favorite part of it i will say that i really love zayn and violet a lot and really enjoyed their romance in book one i've seen some criticism that it's like too fast there's not a lot of development there and i don't disagree with it but that didn't like um limit my enjoyment of it but i really felt um even super obsessed with them in book two, which we'll we'll talk about in detail. But thousand percent, um, yeah, yeah. Like I now they like live in my brain rent free. Like I'm mm-hmm. just very into them now. Now I believe I I don't know. Like like you said, I I really did like the first book. I had so much fun with it, and I did love their romance in it. But um, I didn't feel it. Like I didn't believe it. I guess completely until book yeah. two. Like it felt real. It felt like they needed to go through some shit and come to like a, a stronger emotional foundation um, than I feel like they had throughout most of fourth wing. And now it just yeah. feels more concrete. It feels more just established, I guess. Yeah. One of the things and we'll talk about this more in detail too, that I really give Rebecca Yaros a lot of credit for is that I think she is writing true. I mean, this is technically like a new adult. They're like, early 20s but like Mm -hmm. really writing these 20 something characters in a way that's super believable to me in a high stakes fantasy world you know we're not dealing with a situation where we've got 20 year old Farah and 500 year old Resand, and that's just like total suspension of disbelief because you have mates and, and there's mates in this world too but you know what I mean it's just the romance in there has much different stakes in, in Akatar and like mm-hmm. those types of romantic books. Um, but I think Rebecca Yaros is doing really like good and kind of different work um, that specifically like gets into the like ethos and like pathology of like 20 somethings. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you look at fourth wing in, in um, Iron Flame together, you see like, oh like this kind of very frenetic energy that you have like in the new relationship that you're super into um is what you get in fourth wing and then it kind of develops and goes deeper and what happens then when you kind of realize that you have to deal with every part of that person you can't just mm-hmm. be vibes uh yeah. <laughs> especially love vibes um and so that's i think what has been the, my favorite part of reading iron flame but anyway yeah. We'll circle back to that. But well, <laughs> what did you think about Fourth Wing when you first read it? Uh, yeah, it was super fun. Such a propulsive read. Like I remember just like at, at your guys' behest, uh, sitting down and finally reading it and just kind of flying through it. Because I was like, I remember like opening it and being like, oh God, another like five hundred page book or how, whatever long, uh, however long the first one is. But um, and then just feeling like kind of overwhelmed by that number. Um, but then again, uh, it became very like uh, SJM like in the sense that I can read, you know, an 800 page book in just, you know, a couple of sittings yeah. because you just don't even you don't feel that time. And it's no. the same with fourth wing. You just don't feel that time. Um, another thing 
that really struck me, I think that makes this book or the series stand out is this quiet kind of quiet um, disability representation. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got um, uh, Jess, Jess, oh my God, what's her name? Like Jessima, Jem, Jem, her, uh, Scott, her scholar friend, the scribe friend. Jessinia? Jessinia, Jesus Christ. Okay, (laughs) let me try that again. So you have, you have (laughs) just... You have a uh, Jacinia who um, is deaf and it's, and it's very normalized in the text mm. uh, to sign with her. And the people who don't sign with her are kind of like, you know, they, they understand that that's their problem and it's not like a, a fault of Jacinia's or it's not like her own, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's their failure, not hers to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are just some moments in that first book where, uh, cause Violet is physically disabled and she's, uh, in a lot of ways really fragile and her her bones break really easily and dislocate really easily and um the way that she kind of learns to use that in her favor and also like throughout that book kind of learns to accept that she needs some accommodations uh like she she beats herself up for it um needing like a a saddle situation for dragon riding but um i think as as taryn tells her it's like you know if you like if this is what you need to like do the thing like who cares yeah and um that's a really important kind of realization for her and also like the way that she describes living her entire life in so much pain that pain is just the normal for her and she can use that to her advantage as well um in that she can last longer in a fight she can you know people can think they have her down but they don't because she's got a higher tolerance for physical pain than most people do yeah one of the things i love about violet too is is, and it's like an overarching theme in a lot of ways of the first couple books is like you know the kind of nerds rule (laughs) like you Mm -hmm. like the the scribes and her knowledge base and like her her love of of history and knowledge and things like that um and how she uses that to her strength is great to um, me type you know former type a perfectionist st- nerdy student um who uh, I love those types of characters and I love when those assets are allowed to shine um so I obviously love that I also thought like from the beginning reading fourth wing like her her nervous tick of like reciting facts about something mm, to like mm-hmm. center herself is like a kind of clever way to info dump on your readers and place them in in the world and the history like when she's crossing the parapet in the first book so um yeah I just it, it really got me from the beginning yeah it really did uh and then like yeah just the whole like speaking of hunger games you know all the challenges and everything they have to face in the first book like is very hunger games-esque just in terms of the feeling of like anyone can die at any minute and like you don't know and there are some really brutal deaths i mean even just that guy at the beginning when they're crossing the parapet who thinks he's gonna propose to his girlfriend when he comes out of you know his three years there it's just uh (laughs) that's it sets it so sets the tone right it's just it perfectly sets the tone for like nobody is safe yeah um and i i feel like i haven't read anything like a fantasy or otherwise that has felt this high stakes um in a long time because i mean you know that certain people are going to have plot armor because we have a series to get Mm -hmm. through but 
Um, in terms of like most people involved, I don't feel like anybody's safe. I read Iron Flame just like waiting for yeah in- big important people to die, and it was like very tense and terrifying, yeah. which I is good. That's what you want for a a big story like this. I really thought one of like the fr- her friend group was gonna die. I did too, and I was not okay reading that entire yeah, book the entire, for well, it. the end too i was like oh god which one? i can't get mm-hmm. rid of any of these any of those four yeah no totally i and and that was one of the joys for me of reading iron flame is like there's a lot of characters because a lot of people die in in fourth wing um but getting it like honed down to the that core four and seeing their relationship um kind of develop which was was great yeah it's just really impressive to me how these books like pack in so much both of these books could in my mind be two books like very easily um and allow maybe even more room for like intercharacter relationships and development and things like that um but i also don't feel like cheated like i'm mm-hmm. missing anything at the same time um so it's a it's a really cool magic trick she's able to pull off make me like care yeah. about all these characters even though like the friend group is not even in a ton of the 800 plus page i claim like She's off, Violet's off doing a lot of other things for a lot of time. So, yeah. um, yeah, I just think she makes every word count. Mm-hmm. And it's very enjoyable. And she makes that friend group feel very, I mean, she makes them very ride or die without feeling like lemmings. Yes. Very good point. Uh, the most harrowing scene for me in All of Iron Flame was the, all, the whole torture like the torture oh, yeah um and how they are all like standing up for violet it's all just it was all a lot for me um mm-hmm. to oh my babies um and then liam in that scene too i can't i'm not prepared to talk i was like Asia. i'm not prepared <laughs> could barely see the words on the page through my tears a good boy whittling his little figurines of all of the dragons for all his friends and it was just great yeah so i just it was very rude that he died but i'm glad that he we've found a way to have him have some page time here mm-hmm. in iron flame at least and to see some other uh fallout from that death you know he's yeah. not just a friend of hers that died or an ally of hers that died he was somebody's brother he's somebody's son and she yeah. kind of has to reckon with that um and and her guilt associated with his death and then to be also blamed on the outside for his death and that yeah. was i thought a really good arc for for his sister and for her yeah, yeah. um that was one part of one element that i was really looking forward to going into iron flame and i felt like it there wasn't again there's there's so much going on at any given time that i didn't feel like there was as much of that as I wanted, but I not mm-hmm. in a bad way, just because I feel like again, I if if the pace sometimes slowed down, we could get more of that. Um, but just the little moments that you do get where Sloan's like, it's hard for me to hate you when my brother didn't. Like I'm in the October mm-hmm. letters now. Like he's moving through I'm um, describing his relationship with Violet and his sister's not immune to that. So like and reflecting back on it, I think it's really great. In the moment, I was like, I want more of this because I want more of Liam. But it's that's my feeling on a lot of things. And in this book where I was like, oh, I could have used more. This happened so fast. But then afterwards, I have time to reflect on it. And I'm like, OK, no, those were just like your intense in the moment 
reading an 800 page book in two sittings yeah <laughs> feelings like uh everything is pretty well flushed out i think mm-hmm. um so i don't know how we're going to talk about <laughs> like <laughs> iron flame um you know again vibes i have listed some general topics that we can talk about yeah, let's do it so let's talk about what for me what I have seen online, despite avoiding as much of it as I can, like some of the most common, the most common complaint I think about Iron Flame is how much Zayden and Violet are fighting. Yeah. And as we said at the top, we both walked away from this book being fucking feral over them. <laughs> so I would like to take some time to talk about why I think it works so well in this book. Um, despite all the fighting, which of course is not fun to read. Um, but because as I, I said kind of at the top, I think this book does such a good job of interrogating a relationship that like started off hot and heavy and like what happens when you have to actually confront this person and every part of that person. And when you already love them and love's already on the table, mm-hmm. like what do you do then when you, you, haven't loved the full person yet. Uh, so much of the book is is Violet trying to come to terms with what she is willing to accept in a relationship. Um, I mean, really, this is her first relationship, I think. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, fir- the first book kind of ends in, in a betrayal because she finds out that he's been keeping the secret of her brother being alive this entire time. And so it makes complete sense that she would want to take a step back from the relationship, that she would want to kind of go back and interrogate every interaction they had had and what was a lie and what was real and what was connected to um, his debt to her mother and everything. Like there are so many moving pieces in here that it it's completely like I see a lot of people being like, oh, they fight too much. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such um, reductive. Oh, yeah, it's so reductive of like what is actually yeah. happening here. And it, it makes sense that she needs that. And also for like how maturely that that he is handling this, um, where he's like, I understand that I broke the trust and I need to earn it back. Um, and they have to have these conversations about like, well, you know, there, there's no way to ever know everything about a person. So what are you willing to accept? Yeah. I felt like every single fight between them was about like something real mm-hmm. and like something that propelled their relationship forward and really dug into the nitty gritty of what their relationship would be. It didn't feel manufactured for the sake of like, no. let's not keep no. them, let's keep them apart as much as yeah. possible. It didn't feel like that to me. I will say when I finished fourth wing, I again was just all in on the vibe. So I didn't really care, but I did kind of think like Violet, like how could you expect him to tell you these things um at any point while mm. you were still at the war college like how um and i think that this is an outsized reaction but it took me until like three quarters of the way through iron flame where they're having a discussion after that um throne room scene which we will talk <laughs> about but zane says to her you're a creature of logic and facts and everything you know got turned upside down and shaken. You'll never know how truly sorry I am for that, but you can't just sit there and hope. You want it to change, then you have to figure it out just like Gauntlet. You're the only one who can. And that for me was kind of like, a, oh, wow, holy shit. Like, 
he has Violet, he knows Violet so well. He's so in her head that he knows that really all of her issues stem from the fact that she was a scribe and she learned what those books said. And she had this whole idea in her head about what those facts are. And in one fell swoop, she finds out that nothing that her government has been telling her is true. Her brother is alive and that there's the secret resistance trying to basically help those on the outside in a way that her government is is not willing to do. That's a shit ton of of stuff for any person to learn. But for someone like Violet, who literally recites facts to calm herself as she crosses the parapet for the first time, who finds solace and comfort in facts, for all of that to be upended, that's the root of all of her issues in this mm-hmm. book. And that was just such a light bulb moment for me where I was like, this, this shit's good because it's such a different sort of conflict and, and mindset that I've or at least like I've seen at least a different way of presenting it than I've ever seen or that I can recall. And I think that that's why I get so mad at saying like, oh, they're just fighting so much and just it, there's so much more to it. Like yeah. this is just very deep level stuff, I think, um, which again goes back to this idea of like when things change around you and you love this person, can you move forward? Yeah, I think this book examines that so well for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's also already so much like weight on this relationship because of the fact that they're bonded through their dragons. So mm-hmm. she's already in an insecure place. Like, you know, is he just tolerating me because of this or because of, you know, sex or it's the dragon's connections. It's the fact that our lives are literally linked together. And then to find out that he has been lying to her about, you know, this and this and that. Um, So it's, it's already established that she was already in an insecure place. So that's Mm -hmm. just kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, And now to me, it makes sense that all throughout Iron Flame, she's kind of overreacting to every little thing she finds out that she didn't previously already know. Right. Because the one thing she was secure in, like her her book smarts have been Mm -hmm. taken from her. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's just I think I I I am in defense of of what Rebecca was doing in this book because it Mm -hmm. super worked for me. And I think. You know, they basically went to couples therapy without a couples therapist present for the duration of this book. And yeah. I think they're going to um, stronger ending of this book aside, which we will talk about. Um, but I think that they're in such, um, at least before the reveal about Zayden's second signet, they're, I think, getting to like a really good place. Um Yeah. I guess we can talk about that second segment here for a minute because that scene fucking broke my heart. Really upsetting. But because they've done so much work together throughout the book, it takes Violet like virtually no time to kind of move past that because she's been developing. You can see her brick by brick developing her her own self-confidence back and her confidence mm-hmm. in the relationship back. So, you know, that that worked for me. Um, but they're, I think they're heading, <laughs> say like the last like 15% of the book didn't happen. Like, I feel like they'd be in like a good spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then like some bombs are dropped, like literally mm-hmm. and figuratively. But um, 
yeah that's another part that just like really worked for me the, the trajectory of their relationship through this book yeah um my poor baby Zayden it's not his fault that that line what is it that he says how he's long like how long will it off? take yeah mm-hmm. he's like less than a minute oh my god kills me. oh man I um like the, much like their relationship like I was into him in book one I would die for him 100% yeah he seems just kind of like generic um hot overly powered a fantasy hero um in book one yeah like you know the dark broody guy who's probably evil um we see that a lot that's nothing new but um you know and I, I still liked him because that always works for me but in book two like oh man it's he so, becomes more real and also less real in terms of yeah. like how good he is. Yeah, it's it. Uh, Rebecca did like an interview. I forget with which publication, like right around maybe Insider, um, right at the time of publication, and she talks in that interview about how Zayden is not like again the easiest comp is like Rusand. Like he's not someone who has the weight of the world on his shoulders and has this 500 year old obligation to keep people safe Mm -hmm. and be um, the moral, the compass and the savior that everyone needs. Zayden's a 22 year old dude who cares most about the people in his life. And that's what his main motivation is. It is yes. Like he's not a bad person and he's denies sometimes in this book that he's really like acting for the, the, the greater good and I think you know you don't do any of the things you do in this this book and offer your your home up to be like you know the revolution you know base camp if you're not like, your life to the lives of yes. like 20 something other kids yeah. yeah yeah but then his his focus um on Violet and in and how much he loves her like that's that's his that's his driving force mm-hmm. in a she way that like his new anchor. His yeah. New, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, his gravity, mm-hmm. if you will. And <laughs> that just, again, really works for me is like at character way, it never came across to me as like obsessive or anything like that. It's just like, he fucking loves her and he knows her and he understands her and he knows he fucked up certain things and he's just gonna do, he's gonna not, he's not going to roll over and just say you're right. Like I'm going to, you know, you just need to come back to me when, when you've come to terms with some of these things. Like, no, he like make, he fights for them mm-hmm. because she can't do it yet herself. Oh yeah. Good and stuff. I mean, from the, like all of that is, I mean, it's amplified to the nth degree in book two, but book one, like I love, that from the very get and and I mean from the beginning you're like oh it's because he doesn't really care if she lives or dies which like fair enough but also he pushes her so hard harder than anyone else does he believes in her and her ability to um overcome the obstacles in her life and doesn't try to baby her like Dane does Dane every time she's like oh I'm gonna do this he's like no you're not you can't you can't he won't hear anything um other than that, and Zayden has always just been like, you know, you, you're going to do it. You're going to do it because you have to do it. And I'm not really going to help you, but you're going to figure yeah. it out. And that gives her so much more confidence so that when book two rolls around and he kind of starts to regress a little bit because once his feelings are really, truly involved, 
that changes and that makes sense that it changes that he is now more protective that but he never gets to like an overbearing kind of point but he does um try to live halfway up her ass a little bit more and she has a moment she's like are you dane like can we not yeah. do this yeah that's great that's that's and then he hears it and then he corrects like it's yeah. uh, it's so important it's, it's evolved stuff mm-hmm. um yeah i just really um I love him. Daddy, I love him. <laughs> I just, I do. Yeah, I just concerned. do. Yeah, it's, it, it was a joy to read. Um, And again, I think it's, it's, it, it, I love a book that like enriches, like a sequel that enriches the first book. Like, not only just like learn little things like when he fell in love with her and then you can go back and read it. I still haven't read those chapters. Um, I haven't either. Yeah, I'm saving We them. maybe should have done that before we podcast. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I no need, spoilers, guys. I need a present for myself for later. Actually, I, I'll I'll say this is maybe kind of first thing about myself. Bonus content, short stories, things like that don't don't always thrill me. I don't. Mm-hmm. I I you know what I mean. I you know what I haven't read and it's been out for like a year plus. Like that Rainbow Rowell like short story collection. It's like I love Baz I and Simon <laughs> so much. I never read it. I'm just I haven't like, read it either. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. But yeah, I just think it it when you see when you can see clearly what the author was going for in book one, it make and and a book two makes me rethink my criticisms to the extent they were of book mm-hmm. one and like how fast the relationship kind of went and blah blah blah. I think that that's um really well done stuff. So yeah, uh, I had I a lot of fun with that. What else do we want to talk about? Those two. Um, are, uh, do are we want to save like the end stuff for later, and then yeah, I'm not uh, ready or yet. we can get to it. Okay. Do you want to talk no, about? No, let's just talk. Let's rip off the band aid. Let's rip. Okay, let's rip off the okay. band aid. Okay. Can't dance around <laughs> that forever. Um, I have now exited my like approximately ten business days of warning. Um, that I felt at the end of this book. Here's what really broke me. Um, was Zayn's dragon being like, I chose you. And yeah. being so devastated that he made this choice. It hurts me still. It's so <laughs> it's it's it opens the door for like so much like just crunchy complex stuff for for future books but it's also just like i don't want it (laughs) please put it back don't (laughs) don't want it (laughs) bonus points to you podcast listeners if you know what that reference (laughs) to i yeah it was just like it was horrific um the whole and i'm still like uncertain about when all the dragons were there to offer up their whatever to close the thing mm-hmm. it didn't seem like it happened in the same way as they tried before um but i love that it was you know our girl um and darna who was lunchman there but i um yeah just it just like broke me <laughs> like yeah. in a really bad way because because of how much we love Zane in this book like he's so good in this book and for him to to do this because he loves Violet so much and I can't handle it your girl's breaking down 
I'm I'm so curious to see how this all works out, but I know it's just going to be like extremely painful the entire time. So um, fun for us for the future. Fun for us. You know, I would be in a much, 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 much darker place if we didn't have that epilogue, which shows Mm -hmm. him there with Violet, still in their room. Clearly, it's not like a switch was flipped and he's a different person. Now there's a progression to it. Um, this isn't like a Last of Us situation where you get bitten and then like basically you're a zombie. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess like they kind of have a couple hours there. With they, um, But anyway, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So clearly there's a progression to becoming full-fledged than an evil. Um, it's going to be so fun. Not fun. Fun is the absolute wrong word. It's gonna be very interesting. <laughs> To, like, watch the journey, to, like, figure out mm. how to, like, heal this. Or is it going to be, like, you know, a situation where it's not even something that you want to, like, heal or remove. But, like, how you, like, live with it or how you, like, make it into a good good thing. A weapon thing. for them to use. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, there's just so much good stuff there. If they um, can just, like, put a cork in it, you know, like, so it doesn't progress any further. But he yeah. gets some sort of, like access to yeah. power source that he can use against the the bad guys that would be fab but i do think it is very heartening that at the end they are still like sharing a bed there there has a yeah. you know because she, she knows um yeah. and she's still there with him and i feel like that's very after everything that they went through like rebuilding their relationship in book two that was really important to me yeah um but yeah it's just devastating stuff Seeing the the reveal about like the color of his eyes, the gasp, I gasp. It was yeah. It it's really, gonna stick with me so in much. terms of like pivotal moments in reading. I was talking about this with a friend in the pod, Jesse, um, when we both finished. Cause I think we had finished ahead of you, and I mm-hmm. trying to like liken this to any other literary experience I had, and the only thing. I could come up with um, and I think it's in part because I was reading that series like as it was published as I am with this so it's like it wasn't like I could immediately go to the next book and see what was going to happen um, was Dumbledore dying in Harry Potter oh, yeah. in that, and, and for this book series to it's like world shaking right in, yeah but like in six months of these two books to make me feel as connected as that did. And that was like a seven, you know, whatever, six years, you know, journey for me at that point when that event happened, like that was what, that was the only thing I can think of that like hurt me as bad. So, you know, hats (laughs) him to you, Rebecca. Um, (laughs) You sadist. I did not enjoy that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. All right. Well, I need to move on from that because I'm just going to be a downer here. And literally it took me, yeah a long time to feel happy <laughs> well let's talk about uh violet's second signet now that we know that um yeah. zayden has a segment mm-hmm. second signet i'm curious how this is going to shake out and what it's going to mean for his venom i've seen yeah. some some theories bandied about um i like the seeing or being able to like confer with the dead mm-hmm. um theory the most i think just because i think that uh, opens the door for a lot of great like uh not reconciliations but uh, moments of of closure with her parents mm-hmm. um and also i've been seeing the theory that her dad was a venom a lot um 
that could also come into play with Zayden's transformation that he's going to be going through. So I think that that's my preferred theory at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's um, all the more meaningful if that was actually Liam there mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. with her during those torture scenes. Um, you know, Rebecca has said again in that interview I referenced that everything you like Violet Signet is in this book. Like you if you know where to look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest, like obvious most obvious one. And I agree that it would, yeah, really lead to some good stuff, particularly with her her dad. I'm very curious about the dad too, because there's just like a lot of weird language in the first book i was kind of trying to pay attention to this when i reread it ahead of iron flame but like about how he like wasted away after mm-hmm. brennan died and i'm like like his heart gave out i don't know i i just don't know i think that there's gotta be something juicier there than he just like kicked the bucket <laughs> right yeah because um, clearly he knew i think it's it's not explicitly said but i think he obviously knew what was going on beyond the borders mm-hmm and I think there needs to be a way to uncover that and have her confront him with that. Speaking of confrontations with parents, um, what do you think of all the stuff with her mom in this book? Like, was it sufficiently satisfying to you? I I thought uh, it was, honestly. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to like wrap my brain around it right now, but I do think it was just because uh, finding out just kind of in in retrospect that her her putting Violet in with the writer's quadrant was to protect her, really, even if it was just a different kind of almost guaranteed death. It was just a slightly less guaranteed death. Um, I feel like she did everything that she did was for her children and she's because of the kind of character she is, she's just that extreme level of pragmatic that it is very cold. Like she's a very cold person. She makes really kind of disgusting choices a lot of the times that hurt a lot of people, but you know that she's doing it hundred um, percent for her kids, kind of almost Cersei Lannister-ish where she'll, she will mm-hmm. do monstrous things in the name of protecting her children, um, including fucking those kids up. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting and I would that's another reason why I would like Violet Signet to be the death thing just because I think that there could be more there to mm-hmm. mine a little bit or their reactions and I, I guess like it has to be that. yeah it has to be I think it needs that, to be explored yeah I I think that you know her rationale for putting Violet in the writer's uh, makes sense to me but I, I I wonder if there's more there like when I was rereading fourth wing I'm like oh my god did the mom poison the dad like did she kill him because mm-hmm. he like knew too much and I don't think we're there like that's not what this book has revealed to me but was there some conflict there at the end if her dad you know you know got too close to certain intel or was you know affected and 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 was on the road to becoming venom like i think it's juicier if like she worked to hide that from her kids too Mm -hmm. um and i think that could be good payoff you know we kind of talked about this a little bit um off air with some of our friends but one of our favorite um fictional bad bad parents is um niall lynch Mm -hmm. and how 
the dreamer trilogy really ended was and it was heartbreaking and 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 horrible but like so beautiful to read was you know Declan Lynch in particular finding out so much about his father and why he was the way he was and 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 the depth of his father's true feeling for him and uh, after his father had died his fa- yeah. their father is dead the entirety of the seven book you know, raven cycle universe and so something like that um some journey like that in in the rest of these books would be so good i think yeah to kind of rewrite that character almost or just like recontextualize this character yeah. like they did i never thought that anything could ever make me like niall lynch mm-hmm. in the first you know six or whatever books of uh the the raven cycle and dreamer series um but then Grey Warren comes and just completely undoes all of that for me. And now I can't think of Niall Lynch without like getting choked up. Yeah, so totally. that is good stuff. And I feel like, yeah, that there's so much to mind there with um, just closure. And yeah. and it's also very useful in terms of um, exposition dumps. So. Yep, totally. So I look forward to reading more of that. I don't know if we really want to talk at all about like, plot like world building i'm not like that's not why i'm here like mm-hmm. the griffin stuff like that was all like interesting whatever um the scene where they went and i'm gonna totally forget their names it's been like months since i've read this book now at this point but like wherever cat was that man's place yeah. where they oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. venom was in the thing or whatever that whole sequence was giving very big um Fair and Reese go to summer court <laughs> to steal the book. Yeah. Um, yeah totally. Vibes. But um, yeah, I'm interested to see how that all plays out. I don't really feel the need to discuss it, but I do feel the need to discuss yeah. Kat. So, you know, there's a lot about Kat that I, it's probably my least favorite part of the book. Even though like we do have moments then where like we get a little bit more interiority to her, but I did feel like that was one character you know this the jaded ex um who's just a big psycho bitch about it um mm-hmm. was very um i didn't need that i would say that is one of my least favorite tropes in all of fiction yeah. is um because there's it's it's so undignified the way that they people will write this this female character just throwing her embarrassing herself throwing herself at this guy trying to sabotage his new relationship victimizing his new girlfriend it is just it's a it's a caricature it's a cartoon character it is embarrassing it's undignified and i feel like it's kind of sexist i do think and i was i I hated that whole plot this entire book until towards the end like i god i was so happy when cat started coming around and that made a lot of it work better for me when um cat was was like this isn't about him i like i don't give a shit about him i'm here for the power i was promised a crown and i want a crown like i don't care about him um but yeah still the whole it's it's embarrassing <laughs> the like i taught him everything he knows it's, yeah it's just like who, who, who does that like mm-hmm. yeah i although that scene where they fought was like awesome and then it leads into the throne scene so i like i did mm-hmm. like parts of it but i just yeah I'll be curious. I mean, she's going to be a major player, I think, going forward. And I think I would like to see more of that because I liked the thawing um, from her towards the end. But Mm -hmm. like, I don't understand why. I I need a little bit more of how you can be that awful. Yeah. Um, 
to to fully yeah. get on board. Um, so that was like maybe the one miss for this book for me. I I will say like in in terms of misses as well that I I think there's a lot of like cartoonish um, mustache twirling evil. Um, yeah, that I that doesn't super work for me. That one, uh, God, I don't even remember his professor name. Professor or whatever. The professor guy that was like him. torturing her and stuff. It was just very over the top. Everything Jack is super over the top. Although I did like how that worked out. Um, at least they gave him kind of a reason for being so Thank over God. the top and for coming back because yes, that yes. when he showed back yes. up, I was, I was like, come pleased. on. Yeah, I I, I like messaged the group and I was like. What no, <laughs> no, this is stupid. No, it is stupid. Not. No, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, that was a great, um, annoying, but very clever, um, way to to work him back in. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I agree that the professor was like, you know, whatever his name is, just like over the top. Um, I do think we will. I'm I'm wondering if that's going to be a situation too, where you know, future books will inform this book more just in terms of like what they were doing with Jack and like what the stakes were with like keeping him in the war college, like so, and with that healer man. Um, yeah. Like, did they just want a Venom to like experiment on yeah. or? Yeah. So I'm hoping we get a little more context or something to kind of explain. Again, well, explain doctor's still around, right? Psychopathy. Yeah. Um, he is still around. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, it was a, it's like all these things that like annoyed me led to some of like the passages of the book that will stick with me most, like the torture scene because of mm-hmm. how beautiful it was with Liam and like her friends coming to try, trying to get her and all that stuff. I I liked, and then I did like the fight with Cat leading into that big moment with with Violet Zayden is great too. So. That's why it's like a minor knit to pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Dane. Okay. Uh, you know, I really <laughs> didn't think I could be on the Dane train. And I don't want to say I'm fully on board. I'm certainly not like the conductor or anything, but like I got a ticket. I got a ticket. You're in the caboose. Considering <laughs> boarding. <laughs> <laughs> you're at the station with your suitcase yeah, 50 50 <laughs> about whether i'll get on the train um yeah. no but i just i yeah again hat tip to rebecca because i i don't even want to say it's like a redemption it is a redemption in some way but it's an explanation of a character and why he acted in certain ways and a promise to change and do better that works for me yeah, and it's not just a like it, it's not just the problem. He doesn't come back and he's just kind of hanging around, being like, "I'll be better, I promise." While still kind of being a shit, he actively um, proves himself throughout this book, and I really appreciate that. I was fully prepared to to not have any sort of Dane work for me in any context ever, but I feel like she did a a pretty good job bringing him, if not fully back around, but. Um, at least I I don't like hate him anymore. And I, I think he's been, I find him much more of a sympathetic character now. Yeah. You know, there's a moment where he and Violet are talking about how he changed too, by going through the war college mm-hmm. and how 
I don't know exactly what he says, but basically my takeaway from it was lit much like Violet clung to facts and knowledge. He clung to order and rule following. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was doing in in the first book. And um that like tracks for me knowing more about him now. Yeah. Um and just because and I and I think it's so clever we talked about this with Zayden before when like Violet calls him out for acting like Dane, but that's like a very clever way to humanize Dane too, because like when you care about someone that much, you're gonna act motivation for him being an asshole. Yes. And like he went too far, but they're not meant to be mm-hmm. together. Um, yeah. so that's not like evil. It just works for me so much better than like similar type like characters we've read in other books yeah and i fully agree at you tamlin <laughs> so anyway it, it's it's yeah I, I look forward to reading more of that but i like that it's still at a place where like she's like i don't know if i can forgive you but we're mm-hmm. gonna like have moments where kind of feels like the good old days and i don't know what that means for our future um but let's work together to try to to do what we need to do and it worked for me yeah same um yeah, those are like my biggest takeaways. Yeah. I think. Uh we should talk about Andarna. Then, <gasps> yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> uh yeah, let's talk about our dragon scales. <laughs> um, so the only reason I mean like spoilers for our like um um superlatives, but um Andarna is very close to being my my favorite arc of this book. Um she only didn't get it just because she was asleep for like 70% of it. <laughs> but um what she was there for was great. I love snarky, grumpy teenage Andarna. Um, she was just like Merc and folks left and right. I love that for her. Um, She's and just angry. Being, yeah, being uh, like a singular creature, just truly one of a kind. Um, and her waiting to hatch for my life. Like that's, that's all I'm... I wouldn't have said that I was super into like the dragon politics um, or the dragon culture. Uh, before this book but with that Indarna stuff and them having like that that council of like elders and mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see what Indarna's history is and what her her dragon species is I guess it yeah the I was like you know, I was waiting for you like just mm-hmm. oh like so good um I different expectations of what sassy teenage adolescent Indarna would be than what I got in this book. So it took me a minute to like vibe with her, but then I was like fully on board. Mm-hmm. And she were you also expecting kind of a Matthew Lynch um teenager? Yeah, that's yeah, what I yes, was, I think. Yeah, but she's yeah. more like a little bit of a snark. And mm-hmm. I love I love a snark. So it, it I got on I got on board pretty quick. Um Taryn remains great and the relationship remains great. So um I just really love them both. And I, I'm really excited to get more from the Andarna stuff because that was just like so special. She had some of my biggest like jump up and cheer moments of the book. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, and now she looks beautiful and like is multicolored. She's always mm-hmm. beautiful in any shade that she chooses <laughs> to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're it's we're we're at a point where I think we need to to 
yeah. <laughs> move, move, on. move on. <laughs> Melting um, Do you have any other thoughts? No, I mean, I'm just thoughts. really, I, I, my brain is churning through a lot of these things. I am not ready to like fully start theorizing about things yet, but like, I just would love a release date. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the, the tide is stunned for right now because we do have, um, Crescent City 3 in at the end of the next month to look forward to. Um, so that feels crazy. I'm not chomping to me. at the I'm like, <laughs> Finally. My my head is fully in the sand uh, about all of this. I, I, I need to get back in so I'm like mentally prepared, but I'm we can talk after we're on air because I have somehow found myself on the Crescent City subreddit and I have thoughts and theories. We'll talk. I'm yes, please tell me. But I'm getting ready. So I'm getting gearing up for that. But yeah, um after that I'll be chopping the bit, like wanting this next mm-hmm. release date, I'm sure. So uh exciting stuff. Yeah. It's I, I don't know if I mean, it's very rare that this happens where I finish um, a book and then immediately I feel like I need to go back and reread everything that came yeah. before it. But that's exactly how I feel with um, Fourth Wing and Iron Flame, because they're especially with that. There's that um, very spoilery interview out there that we mentioned earlier um, where there's a lot of her like kind of snarkily answering questions with uh, it's all there. It's all there in the books. Yeah. And the, um, all those little like epitaph epitaphs mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah, I feel like I need to go back with a fine tooth comb over both of these books. And then that's when I'm going to really be putting like the tinfoil hat on and uh, red string wall situation. Um, Yeah. I do worry a little bit about these are supposed to be like five or six or eight books now. Did you say? I can't remember. Five? Five. Five. Um, I worry about longer series like that. I feel like it's hard to keep momentum up um especially with like the the timeline of this war where yeah. everything feels very dire like right now they're gonna all die like in five minutes if they don't fix this so i'm wondering like stretching that over five books i have some concerns but um she hasn't done me wrong so far yeah. so you know like i was reading this spo- again the spoilery interview and it, it felt like like a girl math moment because it's like supposed to be five books but then she's like well i wanted this book to be two books but my editor said it's one book and i was like how many books was this supposed to be like what is the math like i don't understand but it really did feel like two books yeah it totally did and so did the first book the first book mm-hmm. could have ended after the dragon you know the threshing yeah. And oh, yeah. it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I just, that's a very good question. We don't know the answer to. So, but like, I mean, we're already four, bu- four books into yeah, her. Five I, well, exactly. I don't understand. But, you know, I think what this book has revealed to me, what every Sarah J. Mass book has ever revealed to me, is that my brain does not possess the the expansiveness to even get close to guessing where they're going. That's fair. Like, I can't conceptualize it. Mm -hmm. You know, we beforehand, our group chat was like, okay, so one year, um, one book for each year at the War College. And then after that, they'll be out in the world and they'll be fighting this conflict. And then Rebecca's like, ha ha ha, I know, like, we're leaving the War College, like, halfway through. And, you know, and it worked. And it was just, you know twist after twist after reveal after reveal that made a lot of sense so thank god they left because at a certain point like i was not going to be able to suspend my disbelief that they would stick around right that place when there's so much outside that like is far more dire 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So we'll see. And remember who we trust. Let's do some quotes. Um, superlatives here. I have more, so I'll go first. Okay. Mine are all from Iron Flame, by the way. I'm gonna read these two together because these were two characters that I liked getting more of in this book and seeing particularly how the character of Imogen um kind of we got more of in this book. Seriously, I shoot a reproachful look at Imogen. I can explain. Imogen puts her hand over her heart. You see, I didn't like you last year, remember? You're kind of an acquired taste. Um, so they are, you know, they went through this horrible thing together. And now they have a begrudging um, alliance. And then it turns into a friendship. And it was very fun to watch. Um, And then another character we saw more of in this book was Mira. And I like this moment. Oh, no, you're in love with him, aren't you? You can't possibly know that just by looking at me, I counter. My spine stiffening. Ugh, let's go throw knives at shit. (laughs) It's like I like both of their vibes. There is a lot of really good. uh, I don't know why, but I kept being like terrified that Mira was going to end up sucking uh like yeah. just being kind of a shill for her mom or or you know more in line with the government's mm-hmm. uh you know uh strategies and everything but she the way that she is also like completely ride or die for Violet she's like whatever you know whatever Violet says yeah and punching Brennan when she sees him she just like doesn't suffer fools and I like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Um, all right. Your turn. All right. So this is just kind of highlighting a really good point in like their, the, the Zayden and Violet argument about like, you know, him expecting like how, how many secrets is she expected to like just tolerate? And she says, almost everyone in my life has kept secrets from me because I didn't ask the right questions, didn't look further than face value. And I understand that there will be times you can't tell me everything. That's the nature of what we do as writers. But I need you to stop setting me up for failure by insisting I figure out what there is to ask. And I love that moment for her because this whole time, yeah, he has been kind of giving her just like cryptic clues or like, hey, you are not studying the right thing or whatever it is. When he could be more forthcoming, he's just kind of trying to hold a little bit more back. Uh, give her a little bit of homework to do so that he has more time before she knows these things when, you know, if he's expecting her to trust him, then he needs to be much more forthcoming than just leaving her a trail of clues. Totally. It's a good one. Um, This is from Taryn. I'll tell you if my punishment includes death or inconvenience, I will already know as I am continuously with you, he crumbles. Forced to bear witness to the awkwardness that is 21-year-old humans. And it's just like a great moment of level levity, but also a reminder that these are 21-year-old idiots. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. This one's from Fourth Wing, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with Violet dealing with her chronic pain and everything her entire life and kind of using that um, to her advantage. Your arm is shot, Sorengale. Tynan, Tynan hisses, his face pale and sweaty. I'm used to functioning in pain, asshole, are you? I raise the dagger in my right hand just to prove that I can, despite the blood that runs down my arm and drips from the tip of my blade, saturating the wrap across my palm. She just takes power in these, like, fucking fantastic moments, and I love it. It's great. She's the best. All right, favorite character and arc. I'll let you go first here. So I just have uh, the... We talked about it a lot earlier, but Zayden kind of 
um, in fourth wing, he's very willing to leave Violet to her own devices and let her prove herself, um, which stands like very intentionally in contrast to Dane, who only wants to hold her back and remind her how weak she is. Um, but then in Iron Flame with Zayden now just fully involved with his feelings um, and the fact that he's almost lost her like a couple of times and he regresses a little bit, but then, you know, he comes back and they have that, that very mature conversation that we talked about earlier about him being basically like, you know, I, I broke the trust and so it's up to me to earn it back. I totally agree with you. Zayden is both my favorite character and my, my favorite arc. Big question mark about what he chooses to do at the end is, is a good thing on mm-hmm. that arc or a bad thing? Um, and obviously it's a bad thing, but you know what I mean? Just like character wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so just something to chew on. But no, this is his book in my eyes and I love him. Yeah. A lot. Um, uh, second place to Andarna because a little baby is very mm-hmm. powerful and very special. Yeah. And she comes in and she reveals that in a great Her moment. little scorpion tail. She's so good. I love, I love, uh, yeah, Violet, or Violet, um, and Darn is also my, my second choice. Yeah. Swoon City. This is a romantic oh boy. after all. <laughs> um, you pick the good ones because you did, did your homework first. Mm-hmm. So you can read this one from Fourth Wing. Okay. I would rather lose this entire war than live without you. And if that means I have to prove myself over and over, then I'll do it. You gave me your heart and I'm keeping it. One of the things I love about Fourth Wing, I don't have any quotes specifically about it, but like all the big romantic Swoony moments really come from Violet. And I just like love that because she is not afraid to be like, this is what I feel. Mm-hmm. And like, you feel it too. Like, I know you're you're just being like an idiot about it, but I'm I'm going to confront this head on. Like when she goes out to the parapet to talk to him when, you know, she just she's the driving force in the first book and i like the real reversal then in iron mm-hmm. flame and it's just um but it was very i remember reading fourth thing being like this is refreshing that it's like coming from her but i'm still like very invested because a lot of times i'm like i want the swoony man yeah to, to swoon to make me swoon over him but like i just i was i love that part of fourth thing it's great okay this is a moment to say Nice little quote from Iron Flame. I love him. I love him. I love him. I'm not ready to give him the words, the power that comes with them, but I can keep them for myself, chant them like my own personal codex, the only truth I'm certain of. Just again, yeah, good violet, good violet violet stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, kind of a, a point of contention for them is um that Zayden through all of Fourth Wing and most of Iron Flame doesn't just out and say the words i mean it's very it's incredibly obvious to anybody witnessing that he is of course completely in love with her but he doesn't give her the the three words but he demands them of her and so finally Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. he says you want to know something true something real i love you i'm in love with you i have been since the night the snow fell in your hair and you kissed me for the first time i'm grateful my life is tied to yours because it means i won't have to face a day without you in it my heart only beats as long as yours does and when you die i'll meet malik at your side it's a damn good thing that you love me too because you're stuck with me in this life and every other that could possibly follow it was like so so Worth yeah. the wait. I loved it so much. Um, bring the house down, Zayden. Bring the house down. Woo! Um, all right. Uh, 
this one I just liked because it's very emblematic of like what we talked about, how much we love how he fights for them. Mm-hmm. When I do sleep, I dream of the sounds you make right before you come and the way the blue in your eyes outshines the amber right after all sated and hazy. I wake up starving for you, only you. Even on the mornings, you're halfway across the kingdom. This isn't me denying you or manipulating you. This is me fighting for you. He fights so hard for, I mean, that is just like his number one yep. redeeming trait. If any, if everything else about him was bad, which yeah. it isn't obviously, but he, he fights so hard for that relationship and doesn't let her give up on it. Um, and it's, it's beautiful to see uh, that kind of maturity and that kind yeah. of emotional vulnerability from a 23 yeah. year old dude. And again, as Rebecca said in that interview, we keep referencing this is a romance, like first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the other stuff is just window dressing. So, you know, this is his singular focus, as it should be in a romance. Again, it's not any of this periphery, this war, this fight. It's not. It's important, but it's not as important as them. And I just like that we're we're all in on that um, here. So yeah, your turn, your turn. Yeah. This one, this um, is my favorite. So. <laughs> all right, this is Violet. Uh, I love you. I whisper, you could throw my entire world into upheaval and I would still love you. You could keep secrets, run a revolution, frustrate the shit out of me, probably ruin me. And I would love you. I can't make it stop. I don't want it to. You're my gravity. Nothing in my world works without you. It's good stuff. Um, and then, uh, Ooh, we both have this written here next, actually. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. My house, my chair, my woman. Ah! the end that's all that's all you need what an iconic scene that is the one that is going to be like definitive of this book for me (laughs) despite everything else it's gonna be the the throne it's gonna be the first thing i think of you and it's not yeah and and that's the thing he calls it a chair like it's a fucking throne oh my Mm -hmm. god you know what it made me think of this is gonna be a little bit spoilery for um uh the long game by rachel reed um the first book of this kind of almost like it's a part of a series but like we've talked about before first book featuring this one couple is um heated rivalry and then the long game is the conclusion of their story but there's this scene at the towards the end of the book where the one character shane is brought like super low um because of their relationship and what it means to be gay and NHL players etc and Ilya, his boyfriend fiance maybe at that time brings him into like basically his his trophy room like they're very successful and he like sits him down and like gives him like a dressing down to be like <laughs> you like and he says something about like you know now like i'm gonna like fuck a king on his throne or something like that and it's just I like, forgot he, like about that. build him up. oh my god it's so good but it kind of reminds me of like the power dynamics and like you know, I, I just, oh, good stuff. Anyway, that's what it made me think of because I love that other scene too. I and appreciate the reminder. <laughs> oh, you should go back and revisit it because I will. My, my highlights on those two books get a workout a lot. I, I read them a lot because I just, I'm obsessed with them. But anyway, just anyone listening, if you haven't read those books, like, don't be put off by the shirtless dudes on the cover. Like, it, yeah, is, it is so much more than truly. a bodice ripper. Truly. 
All right. So this one isn't a quote uh, so much as I just find it personally just very swoony when Zayden, like, you know, they're fighting and she's like, oh, let's go back to the room. And he's like, no, we don't fight there. Like mm-hmm. that room is for love and only. And yeah. it's just so like, I don't know. I just, I love that kind of establishing, like, cause they're establishing relationship rules. Right. And he's just like, we don't fight in the bedroom. And I love that. It's a yeah. great rule. And that's why it's nice that then you see them there together mm-hmm. despite everything that's happened um i have one last little moment which is you know we talked about the devastating scene where zayden reveals a second signet and you know immediately violet's just like oh my god like i can't believe anything he's ever said but then like very shortly thereafter she says you know my love isn't fickle and yeah. that just like means a lot because they've gone through a lot and so, yeah, the, after the love has never changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After yeah. everything they go through in that book to, you know, you understand why he is kind of expecting it to go the other way. And she's and, like, like no. that poor boy has been like living with the like noose around his neck, essentially with he that was a bleeding open wound in that moment. And I am a sucker for that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I like this book, Tasia. It's it. It's a good book, Brent. It's a good book. Good book. Good book is good. Um, had a lot of fun. This was glad we talked about it. Yeah. And uh speaking of, what do you think is coming next? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Here's what Tasia has written in our notes. End of year wrap up? Question mark. Maybe Percy Jackson? Question mark. Or is it Hunger Games? Question mark. LOL. Uh, maybe you guys will let us know because we don't know. Stay subscribed and you'll find out. Um, yeah, no, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know. We we have some thoughts. We're percolating here. Um, and we'll be back at some point to talk about maybe some <laughs> of those things. In what order? I don't know. When? I don't know. But it will here. happen. In the meantime, Tasia, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Ragey Cakes. You can also find my um, uh, True Blood Rewatch podcast at Fangbangers on um, Instagram, Blue Sky, all the, all the places. Um, and that's really mm-hmm. fun. It's just a horny, chaotic rewatch with horny, chaotic friends. Super fun. Um, I'm on Instagram at red underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram. I'm at actor age. You can shoot us an email if you would please like to at actor age pod at gmail.com. And, you know, again, we're a quarterly podcast now. But if you want my rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. Um, we do have a quite an extensive back catalog uh, if you're new to us here today. So um, take a look, give us a listen and encourage us to come back because uh, hearing from you guys is always a great motivator it does help a lot honestly yeah. truly it does it, it very much does so um anyway uh that's it for now ta-ta for now ta-ta, ta-ta. for now <laughs> and we'll see you when we see you bye friends bye.